Hello and welcome to the ACA Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting. If you would like to attend this meeting live, go to adultchildren.org and click on online meetings and then scroll down to find Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. I'm happy to introduce our speaker tonight, Monica from Santa Barbara, California. This is a first for me, uh, DJing and then speaking. So I will try and speak slow. My energy is a little uplifted. Uh, the only dilemmas I have today before I welcome everybody, I know it's a good day when my two dilemmas are, where am I gonna sit to speak and what was I gonna wear? As Adam said, I am from Santa Barbara, California. I'm a native born and raised Californian. My original home group was the Wednesday night, 7.15 p.m. Big Root. Big Red Book Study, and now my Zoom home group is the San Diego Zoom Boom Room speak, ACA speaker meeting, which I DJ every Friday night. This June 29th, I'll be celebrating five years in, of recovery in ACA, and I just want to thank Adam and the Voices Across America team and my girlfriend Sandy, who told me that she volunteered me to speak about a month ago and DJ as well, so I'll be here next week when my husband speaks too. I just want to give a, a warm welcome to the newcomers. If you're brand new, if you've tried this, if you're scared to death, you're not alone. This program is absolutely amazing and you'll find your way, you'll find your voice, you'll find the healing if you just stay. And I've spoken before, I know you haven't heard me before, but my theme tonight is going to be um, grief and trauma. And as I've been in ACA for five years, I'll start at the beginning. I was introduced to ACA by my Al-Anon sponsor mom in 2015 when my husband moved us here to Santa Barbara. She knew my story. She knew all the abuse. Our backgrounds were pretty similar. And when I was here, I was here by myself the first six months while my husband was wrapping up the family business in Cambria where we originally lived. Um, I was having extreme anxiety and I, I didn't know why. It was so extreme. I wanted to just run, like jump out of my skin and run. And I don't self-medicate. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm an athlete, so that's my that's my medication is just to keep moving. And I, tr I trusted her when she said one night, I think you need ACA. And I had heard of it and I had attended a workshop in Cambria when I lived there once, but I was too scared. So I didn't stay for the workshop because I didn't trust people. And the people that had been in my life before um, were just the wrong people for me. I was attracting all the brokenness that, that was inside of me. I went to ACA, I went to the, a Monday meeting, then I went to the Wednesday meeting, and I was absolutely scared to death. I wasn't ready. And right around, I think, 2016, my body started reacting. I was in pain all the time. I didn't know what was going on. It wasn't muscle soreness from teaching and working out. It was just me trying to repress the feelings, the memories, um, all the blacked out memories, just everything, all the abuse that I had, I had gone through. And I knew I needed to make a change because I'd only been married a couple years and I was avoiding my marriage. I was, I'm a retired special ed teacher. So before school, I would teach 6 a.m. yoga classes. I teach and work with the kids all day. I'd help everybody else. And then at the end of the evening, I would be teaching again a yoga class. And finally, a, a girlfriend came alongside me and um, reminded me about ACA. So I retired from my teaching career in 2016 because I learned that my recovery comes first and I knew what I was doing was not serving me at all to be helping everybody else, leaving myself and my marriage and my husband 
dead last. I worked the steps twice in three and a half years. I just finished right before COVID started. And I don't say that to brag. I say that because I'm here because I wanted the healing. I've been depressed. I've been suicidal. I still have anxiety. I've discovered I have PTSD. There's a lot of trauma and there's still memories resurfacing. And I knew I needed the healing. And I'm just in awe of where I am today. And I'll get to that in a minute. But when I first started this program, I found a sponsor. She was absolutely amazing. I loved her. She got to know me really well. And we, we worked together. We met together every week. And she just was really gentle and she was really loving and she listened and she heard my story and we related and she just took me through the steps slowly. But I remember the first time through, and this is why I worked them the second time with someone else for the deeper healing was because I was so stuck in the drama and the story of the past. She didn't want me to re-traumatize myself by, you know, reliving any past experiences. She was really gentle. And then she disappeared. I didn't know what happened. She had some things come up in her life. So I had a break for a little bit from a sponsor. And there's a gentleman in the program in this program that I had heard him several times, um, spoken with him. He was a great friend of my husband and I. And I remember hearing him one night and my head at a speaker meeting, my head just whipped up. I think it was January 2018. And I asked my husband, I said, what do you think if I asked so-and-so if he would be my sponsor? I said, I really relate to him. I do well when I work with men. They're very direct. There's no cattiness. There's no gossip. He'll keep me on track. And he said, that's fine. We are friends with, with him and his girlfriend. So I asked him and we got together every week, worked the steps. Sometimes we're breaks because I was sick or, or vacation. But I was able to be honest for the first time and really open up and cry and feel my feelings and not feel ashamed and not feel guilt because of all the things that I had been through. And the, you know, some of the traumas that I'm reading about, and this is why I'm talking about trauma tonight is because during COVID, I feel like it's been a blessing for me because it's helped me to go slower. And I've had, I think between my husband and I during COVID up until October 13th, we've experienced seven losses and six of them between us, our family and friends were human. And the seventh one was our sweet little rescue dog. And that just put me over the top. Um, it just ripped my heart open. And back then I was numb. I was in shock. I was angry. I was in denial. I wasn't accepting. I didn't understand why this was happening. And this was the second dog we had lost tragically. And this one was a little bit more traumatic. My sponsor now reminds me she died in your arms. That's not normal. You had no signs. She was only a puppy. She said, you're still in the middle of your healing. And next Tuesday, I believe the 13th will be six months. Um, so I'm still grieving that loss. But the beauty of this program and me working the steps still and working the traits and working with a therapist and my sponsor is that as the months went on through that, that grieving process, and my husband and I also had to join some support grief support groups and had a counselor for the both of us was I think by January, I finally started to come out of the numbness and the shock and asking and beating myself up and wondering if I had done something wrong or we had done something wrong or I should have taken better care of her. And when I started to come out of that, what had happened, a few things, was that grief, and now I can see that she was a gift as well as the other dog, that my higher power puts people and things and pets in my life so I can feel the feelings and I can work through the healing at a deeper level 
So I'm extremely grateful for both of those pets and those amazing bonds that I had with them because now my grief has morphed into the grief of my little girl, that little girl that was hurt and beaten and abused and just all these things that had gone on in my upbringing. So I am an adult child. I'll give you some background and, and then an answer to what I'm working through right now, the grief and the trauma. The other thing that Higher Power revealed to me too, I think it was late January as well. I heard two women speakers back to back, different speaker meetings, and they spoke about trauma. And that's when I just kind of opened my heart and mind that, oh, this is what it is. This is now my next layer and phase of my healing. And I'm okay. I'm not terrified. I'm not scared. I'm not going to run out of way, run away. Do I still have anxiety and fear and worry and my mind obsessively spinning out of control sometimes, but because I have this really strong foundation of ACA and 10 years of Al-Anon this may underneath my feet, I know I'm going to be okay. And I know I'm going to get through. And what my both sponsors have taught me is that I just need to go slow. And now I take breaks and take naps. I meditate regularly. I pray I try to sleep in. My sleep has been really disrupted. So I've been up at, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning. But I'll, I'll go back to what memories are now surfacing because of this loss um, of this little pet passing. Different memories are coming up. So what I remember growing up, some of my earliest memories were my dad was an athlete. He was a boxer and a ball player. And I, they used to take me to his boxing, the studio, the gym where he trained. And I remember falling asleep um, in my mom's lap when I was an only child for about six years. And before my brother, my sister and my brother were born, uh, I would witness my dad beating the crap out of my mom. And she would just be laying on the floor. I'd be woken up out of my bed in a fetal position crying. And he'd be telling her to shut up and calling her names. And I also came across pictures of, and I don't know why parents do this, but they had a really sweet cherry VW bug. And I was sitting on the two seats in the front with my feet on the dash and I was chugging a beer, you know, three years old. Um, and I hate beer. I'm not an alcoholic. So I definitely don't have an allergy, tried lots of beer throughout my life. And it's just, it's gross. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, so those were some of the really earliest memories. My dad trained me as an athlete. We have a huge family. I'm Aztec Spanish. On my dad's side, there were 14, seven boys and seven girls. I think he's somewhere in the middle. I only knew my grandmother, my dad's mom, because my dad's dad, come to find out later, I found out that he had died of alcoholism and he was about 52 or 56. He went into cardiac arrest and he was one of three in our family throughout the several years that have gone into cardiac arrest. I had an older aunt that I loved and my brother was the third that went into cardiac arrest and he was only 32. This summer will be 10 years that he's been gone. So our family, on my mom's side, she was the only girl Spanish on their side. She had three brothers and I'm, sh and her parents weren't alcoholics. I love my grandparents dearly and all my, most of my aunts and uncles. Um, and we got together for these, you know, amazing anniversaries and weddings and birthdays and funerals. And we were just always together. We have a family reunion. Unfortunately, this year it never, it didn't happen because of COVID. I think it would have been the 54th family reunion. And our family is into music. We have musicians and athletes. They're really competitive and there's dancing and there's just a lot of fun. 
Um, so I, I, there's this upbeat, positive, fun side to me. And there's a lot of love for my family. But yet my immediate family, I didn't know growing up what the drinking problem was. I knew there was something wrong by witnessing my mom being beaten, also witnessing the police coming to our house because my dad would be pulling out his knives and his shotguns or my older aunts and uncles and just trying to you know, pry him off of her because he was a, in a drunken rage. He also, every, every weekend, like clockwork, my mom would swoop me out of bed, wrap me up in a blanket, put me in the back of their little VW bug. And I, I never remember waking up the next morning, but she would just go from bar to bar to bar to bar looking for him. Um, and as I've been working through this trauma piece this last few months, I sat for a little while and I meditated and I realized all my Saturdays are black. Like, I have no idea what happened on Saturdays. I remember the Fridays, you know, even growing up, I could remember Saturdays as late as, as early as, I guess, when I was in college, I was training to be on the soccer team. But before that, I don't have any memories of what had happened on Saturdays. And I knew Sundays were not a good day because my dad, if he was home, he was hungover and he just was not a fun guy to be around. And, and something, you know, I attend a lot of meetings. I'm plugged into meetings every single day and workshops. I'm going to start doing some global work for the May 1st workshop that's coming up um, as a sponsor for a panel. And I had heard this speaker recently. And again, it was just like this aha, my higher power speaking to me about what I'm working through right now. And this lady said, the answer to the pain is in the pain. And she shared and said, you know, when I get out of the way, I surrender my grief to my higher power and just trust minute by minute if I have to. My higher power is going to bring the healing and the recovery and maybe not bring back the traumatic memories. I'm saying that for my part because I don't remember everything, but he's going to guide me and walk me through. And I have these rooms to speak to people and I have really close girlfriends in this program, my soul sisters and recovery sisters you know, to share and we identify and we relate with a lot of, a lot of similar, similar things. Some of the other things growing up that happened um, were, I developed a career of running away. There was sexual abuse. There was uh, a lot of physical abuse. There was verbal abuse. I was molested by my cousins. As I said, we had a big family and the majority of the boys were my age. My female cousins were about 10 years older or six years younger. And I grew up with, with the boys playing sports and running around. And I remember my grandmother gave me some nicknames because I had long hair and I hated brushing my hair. It was always in the mud and the dirt, bruises, broken bones. I was a total tomboy. And my parents, my mom walked in three different times when I was being molested and a, another aunt with different boy male cousins and they said nothing to me she never protected me my aunts never said anything they never talked to me about saying you know this is wrong but what we did at home was we ignored my dad the raging rhinoceros in the living room and kept the secrets didn't talk about anything you know that don't talk don't trust don't feel and I think right before I left finally moved out of the house at 18 there was more than once where my dad had threatened me that if I told anybody what was going on at, in our home, that he would disown me. Or if I embarrassed him, 
he would disown me. And I just thought, you know, I'm the goody two shoes. My brother and sister later on after I had left, they were the ones who were drinking and they didn't have a curfew. And my dad was just overly strict and very cruel and would humiliate me in the worst ways. And sometimes my mom was there and sometimes she wasn't. And, and he would just twist and turn everything around. Uh, I, he was my coach. I played softball. And there was one time where I was finishing, he was throwing batting practice and I was finishing batting practice and I didn't say anything. I never smarted off to him. I didn't disrespect him because I was, I was terrified of this man. He, I took my helmet off and I started to walk out of the batter's box and he threw a pitch underhand and slammed me right in the head in front of everybody. And I just walked home because the, the park was right behind our house. So I walked home, told my mom, I think I cried a little bit. And she said, you know, she said nothing. Uh, there were other memories that have surfaced too, where I'm a little bit claustrophobic and I know there's a lot of trauma there. When he used to hit me, he would hit me so hard. I would wet my pants and it got to the point where, he didn't even have to hit me yet. He would be walking towards me in a rage. And it was for anything. If I made a mistake or I spilled my milk and cookies, he would just grab me by the throat, slap me across the face, shove me. And my punishment after he hit me was shoving me, you know, under the bed, half naked or locking me in the closet. And I would just black out. I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't remember anything. And I saw this meme. I'm remembering the story now that I did want to share. I saw this meme on Facebook. I think it was on one of our recovery pages and it was showing how the, and this has to do with my mom, how crazy she was too, how the, the boss is yelling, totally dysfunctional, toxic, yelling at the husband. The husband goes home and beats the mom, takes it out on her. The mom beats the kid and the kid is over there kicking the cat. And for the longest time, it wasn't until this year, I realized that my mom um, used to beat the crap out of me too. When I was really young, she would try to curl my hair. I already have curly hair, but she'd be brushing my hair and it was, she wasn't kind. She was very abrasive and she'd be whacking me over the head with a brush. I'd get paddles broken over my head and on my bottom. And, and I think it was this year that my eyes were finally opened that she was an untreated Alanonic. I mean, she was insane. She would go through my things, searching for things. I don't, know why she did that to my brother too before he passed she would read his mail and open his mail and and different things like that so to survive i ran away uh, they put me in a group home they sent me to counseling i was the problem you know i wasn't the drinker i did drink a little bit in high school and i remember a few times uh, just snapping because my sister they never hit her they beat my brother and i and she had a mouth like a sailor and I remember a couple times we lived together. And even before that, she would steal from me. She would go to my parents and we would go to my parents and my parents would not hold her accountable for anything, but they would um, tell me, you know, not to be lending her my things. And I remember once she had taken some of my clothes, we were living together and I was ironing and she was in the corner and I was over here ironing on the floor and she started screaming at me and I was telling her to stop. And I got the iron and I threw it as hard as I could at her and thank God it was plugged in because it landed halfway between us and her eyes were about this big and she just looked at me and then she started cussing me out again over something she had done and I just lost it and I was on top of her and I stopped and that had happened another time too not with an iron but that time I locked myself in the bathroom because I'm just like I'm done with this craziness this stealing and that's how it was with our family with everything I didn't trust my dad or my mom if there was 
any type of problem, I would try to go to them. And I really learned at a, a young age not to trust. They would just turn everything around and it was my fault. Um, and high school was the absolute worst time of my life. I can look back and see now that I hated myself. I think through junior high and high school, I tried to commit suicide a few times. And I didn't understand why I didn't like myself and why there were all these boys having sex with me and coming on to me and I couldn't protect myself. And it was because I had been molested at such a young age. You know, I discovered that here doing this work, this grief work, and really looking at that and keeping the secrets and learning that in my family, I had to say yes all the time. I was taught by my dad to respect everybody else and say yes. You know, I was the doormat and the punching bag. And at our, our family events, I was always the first one there to help set up and the last one to leave. Um, so all these, all these things are just coming out. I'm having different dreams. I think a couple months ago, I had to call my sponsor. It was a Sunday morning, and I had another dream after I heard those two women talk about the trauma. Um, I had a revelation about one of my uncles who molested me. And I was really sad, but I suspected something a few years ago when an incident had happened at the, the family home. And I called her. I remember the dream. I closed my eyes. I just tried to stuff it down and I was crying. And I called my sponsor immediately and I told her about it. And I said, I can't go back to visit them until he's gone. And they're older. I said, maybe I'll be able to see my aunt sometime, but while they're still um, he's still alive. I can't go back because his sons was one of the sons, the youngest son that tried to molest me as well. There is a really fun side to me. And I think that's why DJ Butterfly has been born. Um, you know, I'm starting to see through this loss from that little dog. My inner child is surfacing because I know I have this strong spiritual foundation underneath my feet by working the program and being of service as many possible healthy ways as I can. I've found balance this past year in COVID because one of the areas that was really out of alignment of me was giving myself away to being of service. I was always on a committee or a convention committee or a fundraiser committee. And I would just give, 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 give. And I was stressed out. I'd have headaches and throw up. Um, and something had happened with someone and I stepped down from a convention and my husband and my sponsor, we had a joke. I said, if I get, you know, the itch to volunteer because it's my blood to help everybody else first, I said, please sit on me. So I've made some commitments to my husband and a, and a fellow traveler girlfriend to not volunteer. We were in a meeting together last week, my girlfriend and I, I was sitting on my hands because they were asking for volunteers. And I know that I found balance this past year in sponsoring women and stepping up and getting out of my comfort zone and talking about these secrets and all the trauma that I've gone through to share my experience, strength, and hope with other people and, and let you know that there is a solution. And my relationships were really similar. My mom putting up with my dad, I had almost three fiancés. The one in the middle had a ring for me. We never got engaged, but I didn't have a voice. I was this little trophy. Um, some of them did hit me. One of them raped me. There was emotional abuse and physical abuse. And, you know, I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I think the last one, and the, and the pattern was that they would stalk me and I had to get about three restraining orders against a couple, a few of them. And even the last one before I left Orange County in 2010. So in Cambria and Santa Barbara is where I found my true recovery. 
And the way I work the steps, my sponsor encouraged me is I pray the first three steps around every situation, um, whether it's you know getting out of bed or paying a bill or making a phone call. I, if I get stuck, I call my sponsor. I really try to live my life in the solution today. I don't want to be stuck in the story anymore. And I know one of the things that's really throws me off during this grieving period is my sleep. If I don't sleep well, I think the other morning I was up really early. There was a plane at three o'clock in the morning or a helicopter. I don't know what was going on that woke me up and my mind just started spiraling. You know, I go to that place of beating myself up. I suffer from, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not smart enough. Just all that stuff. I should be further ahead in my recovery. And that doesn't get me anywhere. I plug into this 5 a.m. self-compassion meditation group. And that's been the saving grace. One of my girlfriends in this program turned me on to that. That has helped me get through the sleepless nights and the grief and the sadness and working with other women. I really found balance after the holidays also with instead of meeting with my sponsees via Zoom or on the phone every week, we're meeting now every other week because I take on, you know, the things that they're going through and I'm, it's stored in my, at a cellular level is what my sponsors reminded me of. And I, I can't, my body is just in pain. I had to get some body work today. I take a really holistic approach to how I care for myself. I've learned things in this program, how to honor myself. I've learned how to, trust my gut instead of ignoring it for all those years before I don't put myself in any dangerous you know situations I ask questions I look around my husband thinks I'm a little strange because when I had a car I would lock the car door even though our place is all the way in the back I, I just take a lot of precautions these days and I ask questions if I'm not sure and my husband is a really good judge of character I also you know I ask him uh, we attend speaker meetings together and regular ACA meetings and workshops. And this program is really saving my life. And I'm so grateful to be here. And I'm so grateful for all the losses that I have experienced. And I'll start going that direction right now. Is In our family, the drinking, the drugging, people in prison, um, the murders, the suicides, it's just part of the culture. No one is in recovery Everybody looks the other way. They think their solution is going to church. Maybe it works for some people, but there's still a lot of secrets. And last year during COVID, besides losing a favorite uncle, there were three people that died. They were older. I think the youngest was 54, a distant cousin. And one was in the hospital at the beginning of COVID. It was all drug-related and alcohol. And one of my aunts for the first cousin that had died in March, she said she was blaming it on the doctors because he was alone. And my other favorite aunt um, said, you know, I knew he was a naughty boy when he was younger because he was always drinking and drugging. And, and I had met him a couple times and I knew that he was really off because he had done he and his wife so much drugs. They just seemed like they were little kids because they hardly had any speech and he, fi he finally died. So it, it's part of our, even there's good things in our, in my family upbringing, but it's really part of our culture. And it's just so sad that there hasn't been any healing. I think the deepest healing for me, and I didn't see this coming, was that I, after my brother died, I severed all ties with my parents uh, because I was just done with them. Even though I had moved 
five hours away to escape. I did the geographic almost 11 years ago this May. They were still blaming me for things. You know, there was a lot of still craziness. My sister would go to their house and use their computer and my mom would call me and blame me for it. And I'm like, I haven't been in your house in a week. You know, so it was always those things. My dad did stop beating my mom. Um, he still drinks. He's more of a, a dry drunk. He doesn't get wasted anymore like he used to. Um, but it's just, I, I can see now through this program too that they were, they were giving me, handing off that bundle and you know, the, what they inherited. I'm not sure about a lot of my mom's upbringing, but I know my dad, um, there was a lot of trauma in his life too. And who knows, maybe he was molested too. I'm not sure, but I know that in that culture, you don't talk about things and men aren't supposed to cry. You don't, there's no airing things out. There's a lot of judge, a, there's a lot of grudges being held, a lot of judgmentalism. And guess what? I inherited all that great stuff. And that's why as soon as I finished working my steps the second time, my sponsor and a really great girlfriend in this program said, maybe the traits. I mean, I knew there was more. So I pray through those, the seven step um, prayer in the morning about, you know, when things are, are surfacing and with, with this grief as well, with this inner child work now that I'm finally ready to do is I'm starting to talk to my little girl and tell her that she's safe and it's okay. We're doing the non-dominant with my left hand, the handwriting. My sponsor gives me assignments on, you know, each day to ask her what is she needing and why is she feeling a certain way? And a perfect example, I heard a speaker a few weeks ago on a women's women's recovery program. She was talking, she was it was an inner child workshop. And shortly after that, I was on a meeting and I'm never triggered or anything. I'm usually pretty good. I was on an early, my home group meeting in Al-Anon, this happened. And the woman who was giving the workshop, her words and someone else, um, they came to my mind about how to protect myself. There was some crosstalk from someone in the chat and I was just triggered. I was like, whoa, what is, what is going on? This doesn't feel good. And right away my body started trembling and I didn't know what was going on. I was the backup person to put the phone list in and make another announcement. So I was fumbling around trying to find the phone list and I was just going to run away. My MO is to run away, to hide, to not go back. And I was like, I'm not going back to this meeting. And I've been at that meeting since September. And then something happened inside. And this is the healing. I heard that speaker's words and a, a girlfriend had shared a story about bullying and a predator in recovery and what she was doing to stand up for herself. So I raised my hand and it was towards the end of the meeting and my voice was trembling, but I shared about my boundaries and how I was being triggered. And when I got off the meeting, I was on way too long. It was towards the end. I started crying and maybe it was because the speaker's share was really, really deep and I didn't sleep well again. But I remember that lady's words and she said, your protective parent needs to be a badass. And I didn't care and I wasn't unkind when I had shared what I shared about feeling triggered and I didn't understand what was going on at that time. But I, I wasn't so concerned where I used to be with the people pleasing and upsetting people about what I shared. I just said what I said. I said, I'm leaving. I need to take some time. I'll see you next week. And this amazing thing happened because I spoke up. Guess what? There were other people. There were over 80 people in that meeting listening to the speaker. And other people started to reach out to me and tell me we had a conversation after the meeting that a lot of us felt the same way. We felt triggered. That crosstalk was 
bullying and totally inappropriate. Are you okay? And, and then after that, you know, I had a conversation. I, I reached out to people. I know how to use the phone, use the meetings, um, call people. I think that morning I called about five people. My sponsor didn't answer. And one amazing girlfriend from the San Diego speaker meeting called me back. We talked about it. I'm like, I'm just going to let this go. I've already put it in my God jar. God obviously has a plan here. I can't see what it is, but I'm feeling flipping uncomfortable. And towards the end of our conversation, that gal that had did this to the speaker, she got my phone number from the host and she sent this big, long apology text. And I was like, wow, imagine that when I, when I get the heck out of the way, I don't try to tell someone that there's they're wrong. I'm just sharing what that experience was for me because I have no idea why my body was reacting and going into this state of shock or trauma um, during, during that meeting. So life has been really good. You know, I am a survivor of sexual abuse um, and I'm not a victim anymore. I do my best to live in the, pro in the solution, not the problem. I, I don't self-medicate. I'm gone deep this year into prayer and meditation. You know, I turn everything over to my higher power. And again, my sponsor taught me the first three steps. I use the slogans. Um, if I am not happy with my husband, I have to figure out what's going on with me. Because, you know, we're here in these close quarters, especially all the time during COVID. And I do the assignments that my sponsor gives me and I continue to do this work and I continue to grow. I think the biggest thing for me is I've people in recovery have come alongside me that haven't been very healthy. And I was pretty upset when I was having certain experiences, but now I look back and I see, and I heard this one speaker say, instead of problems, look at these things as spiritual experiences and lessons to be learned. So now I pause and that's what my first sponsor said that when and my husband said that once I remember I was like what is happening I said I feel like all these things are being flung down at me from the sky and they weren't super bad but they were just really uncomfortable for me at the time and he said and they both said separately it's because you're working your program you know I know how to keep my mouth shut I have these black belt boundaries I've learned to say what I need to say once say it nicely um, and if I'm about to say it more than once, I'm being controlling. And also, you know, if people don't choose to hear me. And I've had people where I've had to put blocks on their emails, on their phone numbers. I do not go to the same meetings with them anymore because they're just like a bulldozer and, and they want to be in control and they're not healthy. And now I know that sometimes when I've already said what I need to say and I've stood up for myself in a kind, loving, gentle way, I don't need to say it again. I can just silently walk away. Some of the other things I've learned here is not giving my time and energy away, you know, to everybody. I really, I really pray about everything. There was a job that was offered yesterday and I thought about applying and I made the phone call and I put it in my God jar, you know, and I prayed the steps around it. The director and I called the director because I knew the director. I thought, well, I'll try something different. I'm not too sure, but okay, it's working with animals. That would be great. And within a few hours, she got back to me. They hired somebody else. I was like, oh, okay, thanks, higher power. I guess you don't want me to go that direction. You know, I will go back to what I need to do and what I know is is best for me. 
I think I am finished. <laughs> I hope that made sense to people. I don't know if you answer questions, but I'm open to questions, you know, and I just, I want to end with this. This woman said this the other day, my home group meeting in the morning. And I just stopped and paused because this past week has been a really good week for me as I've been preparing to speak. And she said, think about where are you today? Stop and celebrate. And in the middle of that, I just put my hands on my heart, which is something that I do and my hand on my belly when I tune into my inner child. And I was like, wow, things aren't super fabulous, but they're 500 times better than before recovery. You know, and I just stopped and I had a smile and I said, I'm just going to carry that with me and try to be grateful for all the little things, even the things that I think that absolutely suck and I don't like because those things come up as well. And I know that I'm growing and I've shared this with my sponsor when we've been doing a lot of work together. I know I'm still growing and I can feel these shifts that I've been praying for and I'm evolving and I'm transforming to be a healthier person and to be here for other people is when I'm feeling so flippin' uncomfortable, but I'm not going to run away, you know, because I have the support system and I can pause. I'm learning to go a lot slower. So I just want to leave in closing that with you. Where are you today? Wherever you are, if it's your first day, if it's your third day, if it's your 555th meeting, stop and celebrate because we're in this together. That's the beauty of this program. I know I'm not alone. And my husband has had to say that to me many times until it finally settled in in our marriage at the beginning because I'm still I'm still very guarded um, you know and I still struggle with things but I'm doing this the best that I can and I hope you got something out of my short share this evening thank you so much for having me thanks thank Monica. you Monica thank you Monica thank you Monica thank you Monica that was awesome. Thank, Thank you, Monica. Thank you. Good job. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Monica.